okay. <laughs> Let's prepare uh, uh, for the word today. This is a segment of the service where we share from God's word. And, and here at Loud Gen, we encourage everyone to bring a physical Bible, like one with pages. Okay, and, and if you don't have one, uh, we have some to give away. Okay, so if you, if you need some, we love giving away Bibles. You just like quickly raise up your hand and, 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 and we'll pass you one. Okay? You can send a secret signal as well to the person beside you if you need a Bible. And then, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm going to start uh, by quizzing you all on something. One more question. Does anyone remember the first sermon of the year? Whoa, my feet! Yes! What was it about? Huh? The three... Oh, yes! The three things, yes. What? <laughs> yeah, very good! Okay! Devote yourself to fellowship, to the word, to prayer, right? We looked at, now at the start of the year, we looked at the last part of Acts chapter 2. Okay, we looked at the, the, the last part of Acts chapter 2. And, and this passage here is, is really a vision of how Christian community can and, and should look like, right? This is the squad goals, okay, of Christian community. And, and this is the kind of of community that we want Lao Jen to be like, right? And I believe that um, that's how, like, particularly it feels like that, you know, 18 to 21st December, when we come together for camp and we literally live together for four days. Uh, and, and, and that's why camp is always, like, the highlight of the year. It's always a powerful time. And, and that's why we, we encourage you to invite your friends um, to be a part of this, of camp and, and encounter Jesus, okay? Now, I'm going to end the year... Uh, this week and next week, um, talking about how, how the community got there, okay? So how, this, how these people um, ended up like this, right? In the lead up to camp, we're going to look at how they became such a community, okay? So this is at the end of Acts chapter 2, and this week and next week, we will look at the two chapters that, that lead up to that, Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, okay? Now, the key verse for today's sermon, um, as you will probably be able to guess from the title, is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which you should have memorized by now. Why is my clicker not working? Do you freeze it? Okay. Okay, Acts chapter 1. Um, let's read it together, okay? But you will receive... No, you must say it with power, okay? But you will receive... Okay, let's try it last time, okay? But you will receive... Okay, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if we look at the end, the last part, of the three synoptic gospels, which means Matthew, Mark, and Luke, okay, the three gospels that are very, very similar they all end with a similar commission, okay? So if you look at the book of Matthew, hey, why, why always like it? Okay, if you look at um, the end of Matthew, 
It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay? And then if you look at the end of Mark, okay, Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The end of Luke, Jesus says, You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So, this is what Jesus talked about before, just before he ascended and went back to heaven. Okay? These were his final instructions, his parting words to his disciples. And I think the message is pretty clear, right? Even though it comes out in slightly different words, it's pretty clear what is on his heart. He's saying, I'm going to give you my power and I want you to be witnesses. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to go everywhere and make disciples. Okay? Now, let's pause here for a while. I don't know about you, um, but you know evangelism, uh, witnessing, this, this is something I, I struggle with. Okay? It's not something that comes naturally to me. You know, I, I'm, an, I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm 67% introverted according to that whatever 16 personality test thing that whatever y'all do. But, but I'm pretty sure it's inaccurate because uh, I'm, I'm definitely higher. The percentage should be higher, okay? So I'm, I'm very, like, clearly an introvert. Now, I, I, I don't know how to like, naturally make conversations. Like, if I have a conversation with someone, I probably have rehearsed it in my head before that. You know, I'm super awkward and I'm not, like, I'm not like, naturally a people person. And, and, and at the same time, sometimes I feel that that sometimes people have this impression that Christians are just all out to like aggressively convert everyone, you know, like we're on some crazy crusade or something. And then that makes me even more awkward because I don't want them to think that I'm weird and crazy. And, and like, does anybody else struggle with this? Oh, are you all like, you know, 100% extroverts like Alagu and Joel? No, okay. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm sure that God knew and He knows that not all of us are like natural evangelists, right? Which is why in all these verses that we've looked at, Jesus didn't just commission his disciples with a task. He leaves them a promise, okay? You look, at, look back at, at Matthew, okay? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, therefore go, right? So he's saying, go in my authority. All authority has been given me, so go in this authority, and then at the end, it's, there is a promise at the end, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay? Mark as well. Um, Mark says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. But if you look at the passage, this is Mark um, 16, 15. If you look at verse 17 and 18, it says, it goes on to say, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They pick up snakes with their hands and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. So there is, a, there is a, a power promise as well, like a special power promise as well. And then in Luke, it says, I'm going to send you what the Father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay, so today, we're going to take a closer look at what Jesus has instructed to do so that we can follow it, right? We can follow the great commission, the great mission that he gave us as his followers. But also, we're going to look at the promise that he gave so that we can draw encouragement and empowering from that to fulfill our mission. Okay, are you ready? 
You must say, born ready. Okay? Are you ready? Very good. Okay, let's pray. Okay, let's come before God and pray. Father, we ask that if, as we look at your word today, God, would you speak to us? Would you challenge our hearts? Would you bring about a conviction that only the Holy Spirit can? And God, we pray that as we look at your word, we will not just hear your word, but we will be followers of your word and we will obey your word and we will live our lives according to your word. So Holy Spirit, be with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Do you know, so we're going to look at the book of Acts today. Do you know who wrote the book of Acts? Paul? No. Paul appears in the book of Acts, right? That's the, Paul's friend, yeah, okay, good guess. What? Is it Acts? Uh, no, who's Acts? <laughs> John? No. Luke, yes. It is Dr. Luke, okay? The book of Acts is actually a sequel to the book of Luke. Okay, the book of Luke is also written by Luke, okay? If you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1, okay, Acts 1, 1 says, In my former book, that is the gospel of Luke, okay? And then um, he says, okay, this is written to this guy called Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, okay? So the gospel of Luke is about what Jesus began to do, and this, the book of Acts, is the continuation, right? It is the part two, the sequel, Okay, so we're going to look at the Acts passage today, but we're also going to compare it to the Luke passage, okay? So I'm going to read um, both passages to you, okay? So let's start with Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11, okay? So are you there? It's page 810. Okay, Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they asked, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, and now we're going to look at uh, Luke. Okay, the book of Luke, chapter 24. Turn a few pages back. Okay, Luke is... Two books before Acts. Luke 24. Okay, I will just read verses 46 to 49. Luke 24, 46. He told them, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. 
I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Very similar, right? If you look at the, the, the message, okay? So, if you look at these two passages, um, and I've asked Leah to highlight them in the same color, okay? There are three parallels if you look at these um, two passages, okay? Firstly, there is a call to be witnesses, right? You see the word witnesses appear in both passages, okay? And then this call to be witnesses extends to the ends of the earth, right? Access to the ends of the earth, Luke says, to all nations, okay? And finally, this commission comes with a promise of power, power from the Holy Spirit, okay? Power from on high, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, these were Jesus' last words before his ascension. And so these were meant to guide his disciples, and that includes us, in the time between his ascension and his return, right? At the end of Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 11, the angels say, why are you looking up? Jesus is going to come back soon, right? So between the time where he goes up to heaven and when Jesus comes again, this is what is meant to guide us, right? So it's very important for us as Christians, this is our mission on earth until Jesus comes again. Okay, so we're going to look at these three aspects of Acts chapter 1, 8 in more detail today. Next slide. The first part is this, okay? There is a commission to be his witnesses, right? Now, what is a witness? Do you know what's a witness? I, 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 think, I think probably the most familiar context is, is, you know, if you think of like a crime or an accident happens and then the police calls for witnesses, right? So if you saw the accident, let's say you saw like, you know, the red car hit the blue car, right? The police calls you up, you just say what you saw. I saw the blue car hit the red car, right? That's, that's what a witness does. He reports what he saw, right? A witness is someone who was there at that time, someone who personally saw uh, the event, someone whose testimony serves as evidence of whatever happened, right? For example, when people get married, there's always, they're always witnesses, right? You know, they go and sign the thing, right? So basically, the witnesses says, yes, they truly are married, right? The, the witness testifies to the truth of the event, that it really happened. Now, if you think about the situation in Acts chapter 1, what were the disciples specifically eyewitnesses of? What did they witness that is so important? Yes, correct. The resurrection, right? It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus who was crucified and died, right? Everyone saw him die, right? Everyone saw him. He was hanging down the cross. He died. You know, they took him down and all that, put him in the tomb. That he is actually well and alive. They, they saw him walking around and eating and all that. That's why verse 3 says, Jesus showed himself to the disciples and gave many convincing proofs, convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, they didn't say exactly what these convincing proofs were. Like maybe he smacked some of them on the head. She's like, ha I'm really alive, you know? Or like uh, it says he ate with them, right? So he's eating the food and he's like, look, the food's going down into my body. You know, I'm not a ghost, right? That's, uh, that's actually literal, literally what he says in Luke chapter 24. He says, look at my hands and my feet. Like, it's really me, guys. You can touch me. You can see me. He says, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Okay? So, it was, a con like he was, he was, it was convincing proofs that Jesus was alive. And the disciples were literally witnesses because they saw him alive and kicking, right? He was dead, but now 
he's alive. If you look further down the chapter in Acts chapter 1, um, in the next part, the disciples choose someone to replace Judas, okay, the betrayer. And they say, verse 22, that they are choosing someone to be a witness with them of Jesus' resurrection. Right? So that's like the criteria for being the 12 apostles, that he is a witness of the resurrection. You know, the resurrection of Jesus, that he came back from the dead, is what our entire faith hangs on. It, it's what our entire Christian faith hangs on. If Jesus died and he had just stayed dead, then he wouldn't have victory over sin and death, and then he's not Lord. He's not Savior. He's not God. And there's no way we can get eternal life if he did not resurrect. And there's no point being followers of a dead man. Why would we follow a dead man? And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what our entire faith hangs on. And that's what the disciples were witnesses of. Romans chapter 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? Our salvation lies in the reality of the resurrection. And therefore, all of us, we are actually also witnesses of the resurrection. Now, but what does that actually mean, right, for you and me today? Because we, we, we haven't physically seen Jesus walking around in the flesh. At least I haven't, right? So how are we witnesses of Jesus' resurrection? Now, I think the question is this. Can we testify of His resurrection in our own lives? That He is our living Savior. That His resurrection power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us. The same power that conquered the grave lives in me, right? That's what we sing. Are we witnesses of the risen Christ such that His resurrection has completely changed our lives? You know, I think it's great that Jesus used the word witnesses because it means that we just witness and we tell of our own experiences. You see, Jesus is not expecting all of us to like preach a great sermon or be like some, give some apologetics lecture or whatever. He's saying, be a witness, tell of what you have experienced of Jesus in your own life, right? We call it the gospel because it means good news, right? I'm sure you've heard the illustration that spreading the gospel is like one beggar telling all these other beggars where he has found great and free food. It's like, hey guys, I found this bread of life. It's completely satisfied me. It's completely free, and, and then he's saying, come, all of you should come and taste for yourself. That is what a witness does. You know, personal testimony is, is very powerful. You know, an eyewitness account or a report, is, it, it, it counts for a lot in a court case, right? You know, it can change the entire verdict of the case, right? They can be like, you know, arguing over, you know, they examine all the evidence or the clues, etc. And then you just have one eyewitness come out and say, oh, I saw Ray Chen shoot him. Oh, that's it, GG, Rachel, it's you, right? That's it. It can change the entire verdict of a case. And that's why, you know, we, we, can, we can preach about and explain and debate about Christianity and all that is important as well. But the most powerful thing really is often your personal testimony. When you share about and, and when you show how Jesus has changed your life completely, be a witness for him. Now, I don't know if you have uh, come across this website or uh, it's on Facebook, it's on Instagram. Um, this, this True Love Is website, or, yeah, website, okay, 
it, it, uh, it has testimonies of people who have struggled with or are still struggling with same-sex attraction, okay, with homosexuality. So they, 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 they can be gay or lesbian or bisexual. But because they have encountered God, their entire life was changed, okay? And, and you know, a lot of them say, yeah, they still have these desires, but they choose not to act on it, and they choose to obey God and glorify Him and, and all that. Now, um, several of these videos have come out, and these videos have attracted a lot of haters, okay? If you go and read the comments, whoa, people are like so angry at these videos. They're like, oh, how can you say this? Right? Um, and of course, of course, the people who are very angry are people who think that if you have same-sex attraction, you should, you should celebrate it, you should embrace it, you should pursue it. Um, and, and so they, they disagree. But you know, I think the reason why people are getting so angry is that these videos are personal testimonies. And personal testimonies are very powerful and are something, it's something that you cannot deny. You see, I can tell you that um, you know, I don't think people are born gay or like sex between two men is against God's law and design. You know, I can tell you all these things and then you can argue back, you can say I'm wrong and then we can have great debate, etc., etc. But if I say I used to be gay and then I encountered Jesus and I realized that all that I want is found in Him alone and so I decided not to pursue my same-sex desires because it's not holy, it's not pleasing to Him, you can't say, no, that didn't happen to you. Like, no, what do you mean? That's my story. Right? You can't deny that this is what happened to me. You can't deny that this is my experience. It's like if I told you I met aliens. You know, they came to my house, they cooked me a meal, and it was the best meal I've ever eaten. Okay? Now, people can say like, what? Are you trying to preach to me that aliens exist? Like, I don't believe you. Like, it's not possible. Like, okay, you can say all that, right? And, and, and for me, I'm, I'll just be like, no, I'm not trying to convert you. I'm just telling you that this is what happened to me. Right? That aliens came and cooked me the best meal of my life. And you can't say, no, that did, what, no, what do you mean? It happened to me. And so if I tell my friends, Jesus has changed my life, they can say, oh, you're crazy or you're stupid or you're whatever, you're weird. But they can't say, no, that didn't happen. Right? They can't deny something that happened to you. Like, what do you mean? I had a personal encounter and experience with him. I talked to him every day. You know, I had no joy, but now I find my joy in him. Right? I, I was hopeless, but now I find my hope in Him. You know, I, I was in a dark and a desperate place, but His love and grace rescued me. You know, I, I, I had no purpose in life. I didn't know what my purpose in life is, but now I have found it in Him. And of course, if my life clearly demonstrated all this change, then my testimony would truly be undeniable. And people can't say, no, 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 that didn't happen to you. And so, you know, I think being His witnesses is really less about explaining the four spiritual laws or what everything in the Bible means and, and answering everything, every question about Christianity, even though, you know, there's a place and a time for all that. But being His witness is firstly about living your life in a way that shows the reality of Jesus in your life, right? Testifying of what God has done in you and for you and sharing about your personal experience with God. Do you remember when, when Alagu shared his testimony? That was powerful, right? You probably remember what he said more than what I said in my last sermon, you know? And, and, and you know, I really enjoy reading people's uh, personal testimonies. You know, like whenever we have baptism, don't just throw away the booklet, you know? I, I think it's great. You should read, read the testimony. And today I want to show you David's testimony, okay? Do you all read it? Do, do you all read it? Uh, better not throw away the book, okay? Okay. 
Now, um, okay, I'm not going to read the whole thing out, okay, but you can see, you can see, and I think it's, it's such a great testimony. I mean, I read it again, I was like, wow, this is so good. Okay, you just read, he, he said something like, you know, I was, I was trying to do things my own way, and I realized it didn't work, and so I asked God to help change my life, because I knew I couldn't do it on my own, and now I know that God's love is on me, not because of anything I, I did, but because Jesus paid the price, and, you know, Jesus finished work on the cross, changed my mind. And all that. It's so good, okay? Like, I, I read it, I was just like, oh, preach it, brother. And this is the gospel message right here. You know what, you know what, though? I don't think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think when David was writing it, he was like, okay, I'm going to preach the gospel in my baptism testimony now. Like, I, I, what did you? Like, <laughs> I think he just, he just told his story, right? He was just witnessing, he was just talking about the resurrection power of Jesus in his life. And like, it's so good. Are you encouraged by this? <laughs> you know, you know, I, I hope this doesn't embarrass David, but you know, I always, I always remember David on the first day of camp last year. And uh, uh, I, was, I was like managing, I was like running some game and I, was, and I saw David and he was like in his cap and you know, he was just like, like you know his face, like David's face, right? And then, and then <laughs> he's wearing his jeans and then I was just like, oh no, this guy's not having fun, man. <laughs> I think he hates us and like, oh, he's just like, oh, he's clearly not having a good time. <laughs> but like, Oh my goodness, look at him now. He's like, he's serving in a camp comp. He's up here telling you like, oh guys, invite your friends. You never know how God will change their lives and, and all that. Like, and I'm so thankful for David because I think he's a living example of how God can use a camp or something, you know, to really work in someone's lives. So I hope this encourages you to invite your friends and they can be the next David, amen? Okay, now I'm going to show you something else and... Uh, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm a little proud of this, actually. It's humble brag. No, actually, it's not humble at all, okay? But let, let, me, let, let me show off a little bit, okay? Indulge me, all right? I'm going to show you part of my JC testimonial. It's written by, obviously, my, uh, what do you call it? Form teacher, civics tutor, okay? Who's Angmo, okay? So he better write a good one. But, but still, you know, you, know, your, you know, your testimonial is actually a testimony of you, right? So your teacher is telling whoever is reading it, um, what they witnessed, what they witnessed of you when you were in school, okay? So this is my, <clears throat> this is my testimonial. And by the way, my, my tutor is not Christian, okay? He's not the religious sort at all. Like, in fact, he's more the sort that will, like, make fun of and laugh at Christians, okay? But <clears throat> he wrote this about me. Her classmates have commented on the depth of her Christianity. Perhaps it is that which enables her to face the challenges of the day so well. She's the head of a religious focus group. Some church thing, like, okay, I, I, I must have written that down. And it's credited by a number of her, her peers with providing them with spiritual guidance during trying times. Lest religious conviction be mistaken for religious zeal or worse, another student of mine who is decidedly atheist remarked that Joanne never made her feel like an infidel and always treated her as a friend despite some fundamental religious differences. Now, uh, I, I'm actually quite proud that uh, my faith was an obvious, obvious enough part of me uh, to make it into my JC testimonial. And, you know, when I was in school, I mean, I, I guess I was part of, like, some prayer group or something, but, I, you know, I don't really remember, like, doing, like, any big christian stuff or, like, I don't remember providing my friends with spiritual guidance or, or whatever. And, you know, I'm an introvert, okay? I don't go around, like, preaching the gospel or, or, or you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the kind, right? And plus, I, I definitely did my fair share of ungodly, unchristian things, uh, in JC, okay? But I guess somehow 
by the grace of God, there was enough of Jesus uh, that was obvious in my life to my friends and to my teachers. Uh, you know, there, there was, and they did witness something about God in my life and, and it made it to the testimony of somehow, okay? And, and I'm showing you this, number one, to show off. No, I'm just kidding. Number, uh, my, my point is this, okay? That you don't need to be some eloquent debater or apologist or some Bible scholar to be his witness. I mean, it's great if you are all that, okay? Come and help me write my essay, okay? But the call is firstly to be a witness, to just tell of what you have experienced personally and live it out in your life. And that will serve as evidence of the reality of Jesus, that He's alive and He's real, He's Savior, He's King, He has changed my life completely. You know, I was a horrible person, but now I'm slightly less horrible. You know, He's pulled me out of the pit, out of the darkness. He saved a wretch like me. That's what we're called to do, to be His witness. You know, not, not to be some great apologist or whatever, but to just be His witness in our everyday lives. So that's the first part of the call. We're called to be His witness, okay? The second part is this. There is a call to witness to the ends of the earth, right? To all, to, to all nations, okay? And if you look at both passages, they say that it starts in Jerusalem, which is where the, the disciples were at that moment, okay? And so I think the point is, is that beginning from where you are, there is meant to be a spiral or like a ripple effect such that the gospel spreads and spreads and spreads everywhere to the ends of the earth. And it's a, it's a global mission. You know, the disciples didn't have such a big view. They had a, a much narrower and short-term view. Okay, you look at verse, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Okay, one, one verse 3 says, Jesus was talking to them about the kingdom of God, right? But then look at what they asked in verse 6. They say, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, so Jesus was talking about kingdom of God, but they were, they were only interested in the kingdom of Israel because they were, they were just thinking about their country's own political situation. They were thinking about freedom from the Romans. You know, they, they were looking for some political messiah. But Jesus says, I want you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, to all nations. And that's what the Great Commission in Matthew says too. Go and make disciples of all nations. You see, Jesus didn't come to Jerusalem just to be a political hero. No, He had a far bigger and greater plan for all of humanity, not just for the Jews. Remember what we learned in the book of Ephesians? Right? It's not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles as well, the rest, the non-Jews. And, and he has a plan for the rest of humanity. And Jesus is saying to his, his disciples, you want political freedom? I'm going to give you power to go to the entire world to proclaim eternal freedom in Christ. Freedom from sin, freedom from death. It's not about temporal freedom from Roman rule. It's about so much more. And if you think, fast forward, think about Christianity today with churches all over, the world, all over the world, the disciples had no idea that this would be the case 2,000 years later, starting from what they did at that point. And so I want us to remember that even as we, we gear up the camp and we say, yeah, invite your friends and all that, yes, please do that. But remember also that camp is not the end goal. 
right? The evangelistic events or getting friends to come to church or whatever, that's not the end goal. It's about so much more. It's about making disciples of all nations, being His witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's our big mission as a church, the church of God. And that's why we send missionaries overseas, right? Our church is big on missions. You know, some of you just went on a trip last week. Because that's what God calls us, His church, to do. We are called to win the world for Jesus. And that's why we gather for, you know, these national things like Praise Singapore, or next year there's going to be a huge national rally, right? Celebration of hope. Because we want to win Singapore for Jesus, right? In the same way that we want to win, like, Hua Chong for Jesus, we want to win SJI for Jesus. SJI people. Okay, very good, very good. Take notes, okay. Right? You see, the end goal is that one day, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's about so much more than just a camp. Now, some of you may be thinking... Yeah, what la, this vision is so big, you know, I don't, I don't feel anything for like, overseas missions. Well, firstly, uh, I think you should ask God to open our eyes to see beyond our own life and, and, and desire, to see him re- desire to see Him receive all the glory and worship He deserves. But also, I'm not saying that, that, that all of us have to go and be, uh, you know, a missionary and go to like the furthest country possible. I think what this means for us is that in our everyday lives, wherever we are, to everyone we meet at all times, we are called to be His witnesses. It's about so much more than just inviting someone to camp. You know, it's about being His witnesses wherever He has placed us, in, in our school, in our class, in our, in our CCA, our army, in our PW group, whatever, you know, in, in, in the coffee shop that we always go to or whatever with our own relatives, in our homes. It's probably the hardest to be a witness in our own family, our, our, own, our own homes, right? That's the, that's the place where we take off our mask and let our inner beast out. Yes? Is it just me? I mean, I, mean, I find it very challenging to, to witness to my, my in-laws, right? My family, even though I see them every week. But we are called to be His witnesses wherever we are placed. Wherever we are placed. And so that, that is the... We, we, we are called to be His witnesses. We are called to be His witnesses to the ends of the earth, to all nations, wherever we are placed. And finally, we are not just called, we are given power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus doesn't just set out a mission for us and then leave us to do it on, his, on our own. Right? When God calls you to do something, He will equip you as well to do it. And we see this throughout Scripture. We see this in the call of Moses, in the call of Paul, etc., you know. And, and in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says, wait for the gift my Father promised. Right? In the Luke passage, same thing. Jesus says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. And what is this promised gift? It is power from on high. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what this baptism of the Holy Spirit means. Okay? Chapter, uh, Acts 1, verse 5, Jesus said, For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this John that he's talking about, do you know which John it is? 
He's the one who baptized, John the Baptist, okay? So John the Baptist, he went around baptizing people as a sign of repentance, right? And this water baptism is, is the same thing that we do downstairs at the pool every three months, right? It's an outward expression of the inside decision you have made to become a Christian. And the word baptizo, baptism, it actually means to plunge, right? So we plunge you into the pool, and that symbolizes the death of your old self, right? You're buried like you're dead, and then you come out of the water like you are born again, right? You are a new creation. Old is gone and new has come, right? And so this is what John did. He baptized with water, and he went around. He did it so much that he was called John the Baptist, John the Plunger, okay? Now, if you turn to Luke chapter 3, verse 16, though, you will see that John the Baptist, he also spoke of a different kind of baptism that is to come, okay? He says that, um, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And this is Jesus, obviously. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So he says there's going to be a different baptism. It's going to be a baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a baptism of fire. So what does that mean? Doesn't mean we will all get plunged into flames. Okay, come next week and find out. Oh, I guess you can just read Acts chapter 2. Okay. Now, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, right? We have the Holy Spirit in us. But when Jesus talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit here, he's talking about a special filling of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, at this point, at this point when he says wait for the gift, right? Before, you know, Acts chapter 2 and all that, right? At this point, the disciples are obviously already believers, Right? So this gift that Jesus asked them to wait for, this baptism of fire, Holy Spirit and all that, it's not a matter of salvation. Right? They are already believers. They are disciples of Christ, right? And, and in Acts chapter 2, okay, we see this gift being given to the disciples. There's a baptism, the pouring out and all that. But if we look at what happens, how the disciples were like before this period, okay, after Jesus was taken up to heaven and before Pentecost, which is when they all broke out into tongues and all that, okay, be in this period, firstly, they were obviously believers. And secondly, okay, if you read, uh, if you read Luke chapter 24, it says they were, so Jesus went up already and they were filled with great joy. They were worshipping God. They were constantly in the temple, right? Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says they were all joined together constantly in prayer. Now, my point is this. What I'm trying to say is at this point, before the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the disciples weren't like weak, powerless Christians. They were not like half-hearted disciples backslided or whatever, they need some reviving from their spiritual deadness or, or whatever. No, they were, they were doing great as believers, right? They were seeking God, they were walking with God, they were living with God, uh, they were living for God, right? And all this is evidence that God was already at work in their lives. It's before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And yet, there must be more, Right? No, what's the other song? There must be more than this. Right? They were, already, they were already living for God. Okay? We already have the Holy Spirit in us when we become Christians. And yet, when Jesus gives us this great mission, this great commission to be His witnesses to the ends of the earth, He also gives us a special power for it. A special power for it. It is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, the, the word, I told you the word baptism means to plunge, Right? 
And that, that's why, you know, we, we dunk you in the water when we baptize you. And so it means to plunge, to immerse. And so it means that we need to be immersed and plunged and baptized in the Holy Spirit for this special power. And that's why, you know, we, we sing things like, fall afresh on me, Holy Spirit, or like, um, pour out your Spirit on me, you know, this kind of things, right? Acts chapter 1 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It is a special filling of the Holy Spirit for power, okay? So it's not about salvation. It's not about like, like you know, how good a Christian you are or whatever. It's, about, it's for power. And what will help you be an effective witness for Jesus is this. God says, I'm going to give you like a boost. Is that what you call it when you play those games? You know, it, you get a boost, right? You get power from on high, a special power, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And I'm going to show you some examples of what can happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, okay? We see the Spirit's special power even in the Old Testament, okay? There would be, the, you know, the, test, the Old Testament would say there would be a filling of the Holy Spirit and then it would enable someone to do something special, something amazing for God, okay? For example, Exodus 31, there's this guy called Bezalel, okay? And Bezalel, he, like, uh, uh, God says, I filled him with the Spirit. And then he does, he produces all these, like, amazing art, okay, crafts. This was, like, art for the Ark of the Covenant, the Tent of Meeting, all this, and all that. It's divinely inspired art, right? And that's what happened. There's a special feeling of the Holy Spirit, and he produces all these cool, great things, right? Judges chapter 6, right? The Spirit of God came upon Gideon. Right? And then Gideon led God's people in battle and he was victorious and all that. Remember at the start, when we first see Gideon, he's like this wimpy guy hiding away, you know, like, like right? But the Spirit of God comes upon him and he becomes this warrior, okay? First Samuel, Saul, Spirit of God comes powerfully upon Saul and then suddenly he joins in the prophesying with the prophets and, and clearly there was a, a tangible difference because the people who saw him said, hey, what happened to this guy? Right? Is, has he become a like Clearly, it was a tangible difference that people could observe. Okay? First Samuel chapter 16, um, Samuel anointed David, and from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. Right? And of course, the next chapter, do you know what happened? David killed Goliath. Right? That great story about little boys slaying a giant. And so you see, even in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon people and give them a special power. It's like a special boost to do something great for God. And so when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, it's an extraordinary time of empowerment. Now, if you read the entire book of Acts, you will see this special power at work constantly. Okay? After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, we see that the disciples are empowered to do amazing things for God. It's like, it's like they go nuts, you know? They just, they go around and compare what the disciples did, how the disciples were like in the four Gospels, and you compare them to how they were like in Acts, in the book of Acts. It's like, it's night and day. It's an amazing, it's like they, it's like they evolved from Charmander to immediately to like Charizard, right? There's someone in the middle, right? Right? Like they skip a stage and they like immediately evolve, evolve to like, like super boost or something, right? In, in the four Gospels, they're like this, like, 
like quite, quite, quite noobs, uh, you know, like losers. Not, and then suddenly in the Acts, like, oh, filled with power, going around doing everything. You know, in the book of Acts, the book of Acts, sometimes it's called uh, the Acts of the Apostles, right? But I think more accurately, it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the book of Acts describes all these miracles and wonders and amazing things that happen when the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. And you will continually see this phrase when you read the book of Acts. Like, so-and-so, filled with the Spirit, did this, 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 and that amazing thing. You know, they are, they are able to perform like miracles, healings, they, the Spirit fills and they know exactly how to answer the religious leaders and authorities. And, you know, they have this supernatural search of courage and boldness and power. And they do amazing things for God. And they were not like that at all if you read the four Gospels. And so what exactly can happen when the Holy Spirit comes upon us? I want to highlight two things in particular that we see in the book of Acts. Okay? When, we, when we are filled with the Spirit, when the Spirit comes upon us with power, this is what can happen. First is this. We become supernaturally bold. It's what our camp theme is about. If you remember two weeks ago, Pastor Hunsheng was here and he spoke on Acts chapter 4, right? If you can flip there, Acts chapter 4, okay? Um, remember, Peter and John, they were brought before the religious leaders for questioning, okay? Acts 4 verse 8 tells us that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began preaching to the religious leaders. Can you imagine he's this noob, right, who deserted Jesus and all that? But here at this point, he begins preaching to the religious leaders and he tells them like, you crucified Jesus Christ, but salvation is found in no other name. And, and all the religious leaders, they were stunned. They were astonished that these unschooled, ordinary idiotai, remember? These idiotai could speak like that. And, and the, the religious leaders could do nothing because everyone could see there's the crippled beggar there, right? He was healed. There's a physical witness. Everyone could see that the, that the disciples had done an outstanding miracles. So they had no choice but to let them off with a warning, right? With some threat. And really, they could do nothing else because everyone had witnessed and was praising God for this miraculous healing. But at the same time, Peter and John knew that the religious leaders were going to keep coming after them, right? And so if you read, continue reading Acts chapter 4, um, they went back to their fellow believers and they had a prayer meeting. Okay? When there's opposition, when there's un uncertainty, we gather with fellow believers and we pray. But look at what they prayed for. See, they didn't pray that, you know, that, that you know, they, they would like, oh, okay, okay, enough, enough, God, stop, stop it already, okay? They prayed, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider your threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They prayed for more courage. They didn't ask for an easier time. They asked for boldness to carry on being His witnesses, to carry on sharing the gospel despite the opposition. And then look at what happened. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. The place was shook. Right? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what happened? They spoke the word of God boldly. Okay, so there was, there was opposition. They, instead, they prayed and asked for boldness, asked for more boldness. Holy Spirit came upon them, filled them. They spoke the word of God boldly. And now, you know, our camp theme is bold. And maybe some of us don't feel very bold or don't feel very courageous. You know, talk to our friends about God or ask them to come to church, come to camp, whatever, to, to share the gospel. 
you know, I, I completely feel you, okay? I, I feel like that all the time. But let's do as the disciples did and pray and ask God to enable us to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can speak His Word with great boldness. That's what can happen when that special empowering of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We are supernaturally bold to share His Word. Now, another thing that can happen when we are filled with the Holy Spirit is that I, I think if you read the book of Acts, there is a special effectiveness in evangelism. You know, and actually I believe the whole book of Acts is about this. We just read how the disciples, they go around, they are witnessing, they are preaching, and just people just keep coming to know God. They, people just believe, right? This is how the church grew and grew. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured on the disciples, right? And Peter... From this, you know, the one who's always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, right? Peter, suddenly he preaches this bold, powerful sermon where he, it's not, it's not like a, Jesus loves you, come to him, all your problems will be solved kind of sermon, you know? It's this bold, powerful sermon. He says, you guys crucified the Christ, the Savior, but he is risen from the dead and so you all need to repent and believe and be baptized. But he wasn't scolding them, okay? Verse 40, he says, he warned them and he pleaded with them to get saved. Okay, we'll, we'll look more at this next week. And then because of this, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus that day. They, you know, this is insane. Okay, 3,000 is like more than six times the size of our entire church. This was surely and clearly a supernatural, extraordinary, special empowerment. It was not because Peter was a great preacher. I mean, we've seen him in the Gospels. Right? It was not because Peter had studied in like the best Bible school or whatever, or he came up with some super engaging and funny and smart sermon or illustrations or whatever. It was simply the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way 3,000 people would turn to Jesus just like that. And this supernatural effectiveness in evangelism, it continues throughout the book of Acts. Right? Beginning of the year, we read Acts chapter 2, verse 47. The disciples, they are, just, they are just living their lives in this Christ-centered community, right? Devoting to fellowship and all that. And like, the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. Okay? Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, you know, they're just preaching, preaching in the temple. They get arrested. They get put in jail. But Acts 4, 4 tells us, Many who heard their message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. It's not like some secret strategy or like, you know, some, some special thing that they did. It was just that the Holy Spirit was at work. Acts chapter 8, right? Philip, he, he's just like a super cool story, right? He just randomly goes to this Ethiopian guy and then he gets baptized. And, and, and who knows, maybe this guy then went on to bring the gospel to Ethiopia, right? So many things happen in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11, 24 tells, about, tells us about Barnabas. Okay, and the verse just says this, he was a good man, Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a number of people were brought to the Lord. It's just some kind of connection, right? It's in the same sentence, he was filled in the Holy Spirit, and many people came to believe, right? And, and you know, there, there are so many examples in, in the book of Acts, so many other examples. We keep reading of people giving their lives to Jesus, you know, group of believers, the Church of Christ, growing and growing and growing. If you want to see so-called successful evangelism. It's always the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, it will never be because like 
the musical was so brilliant or like the sermon was so clever or whatever or like the food was so great or the, the newcomer gift was so great and people became Christian. No, only God can move the human heart to a point of surrender, to a point of realizing and acknowledging that He's Lord and Savior and King. Conversion is always the work of God. You know, if you listen to people's conversion stories, right? Rarely do they ever say like, oh yeah, like I heard this message and then I considered all the points and then I weighed the evidence and I thought like, okay, yeah, it makes sense. That, that argument makes sense. So, okay, I decided to believe. I joined the church, right? It, it rarely happens like that. It's, it's always like, and, and you know, you never, you never hear things like, oh, I decided to become a Christian because the choir sang so well. Or like, like the buffet was really great. Right? Or, or, you know, all these things are great, okay? All these things can attract people to church. All these things can help to point people to Jesus um, and, and all that's great. But when, when it comes to that moment of decision to give and surrender your life to Jesus, right? People always say something like this, you know? I like, they always say like, there was just something inside, you know? Like, I, I just suddenly felt something or like I, I was moved and then, you know, it's always stuff like that because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't explain it completely. It's not an intellectual agreement or like, you know, I, 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 like, a, like an emotional kind of I, I, you know, hype or whatever. It's always the work of the Holy Spirit. And we need a special power to be His witnesses. We cannot do evangelism. We cannot share the gospel without the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is why Acts 1, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And, and you know, I, I really want us to remember this as we, as we pray for camp or as we pray for our unsaved friends and family, that, that really evangelism is a supernatural business because if it's not a supernatural business, then it does not have spiritual and eternal significance. Right? You know, if someone becomes a Christian just because the camp was really fun, that won't sustain them in the Christian life. Because eventually they will find out that it's not all fun. <laughs> it's not always fun. But if they truly encounter Jesus, and if the Holy Spirit reveals God's love and grace to them, and they are somehow moved in the Spirit to say, yes, I want to give my life to Jesus, even though I may not understand everything right now about Christianity and God and, and, and the church, that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And that will be what sustains their faith. So we need that special promise. That's, sorry, that special power. But I think today what encourages us is that the mission also comes with a promise. Right? It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, this promise that was given to the disciples, it is still relevant today because the mission has not yet been fulfilled. The gospel has not reached every nation. It has not reached the ends of the earth. There are still so many people out there who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And if the, if the promise was given to empower the church to witness to the ends of the earth, then it, the promise will be valid until the church has witnessed to the ends of the earth, until all this has been accomplished. So, let us conclude, hopefully. Let's look at the last few verses of 
the passages of the of today's passage. Okay, Acts chapter one, verse nine, ten, and eleven. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, "Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken into, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." You see, this was Jesus' last instruction before he went up to heaven. This was his parting words, okay, his final instructions before leaving. And he says, be my witnesses, be my witnesses. And all the way until today, he's still waiting for us as a church to fulfill and complete this mission to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth before he comes again. Right? The two men in white, the, the, they're probably angels, right? They said, Jesus is going to come back. He's coming back again. But meanwhile, as his disciples, we have a mission to fulfill. And the book of Acts tells of how the disciples begin to fulfill this great mission, this great commission. Right? Acts tells of the beginning of the church. And, and you know, the, it really is the beginning of the entire Christian movement. The disciples became the first batch, right? The first wave of witnesses and evangelists who went on, who went out to preach the gospel and, 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 and you know, preach the message of Jesus Christ and to build the church. And then through the centuries, disciples of Christ have been passing on the baton, the commission to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. You know, all of us here, if we are Christians, it's because somebody witnessed to us. Whether it's our parents or our friends or whatever, somebody witnessed to us, right? That baton of witnessing evangelism has been passed on. And so today, for all of us as disciples of Jesus, we continue to be involved in this same mission. We are meant to carry on the work that the first disciples started. Sharing the gospel wherever we are, taking the gospels everywhere we go, even to the ends of the earth, and being his witnesses. Let me get the band up and, and we'll begin to round up, okay? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is really the mission of the church, right? It is the mission for all Christians, okay? This is our role as a church. This is what we exist for. This is the purpose of our lives. As followers of Jesus, we are meant to be his witnesses, now, I want us to right now, okay, let, let's try to focus while the band uh, gets on stage. I want us to imagine right now, okay, just imagine this. Imagine what it would be like, what Singapore would be like, okay, if every Christian in Singapore truly lived as his witnesses, displaying the reality of Jesus in our lives everywhere we went. Imagine what your school would look like, okay, if every Christian in your school wholeheartedly sought to fulfill the Great Commission. Imagine what our church or what Loud Gen would look like if every one of us, we lived our lives completely devoted to fulfilling the mission of Acts 1-8, to be His witnesses everywhere we go. We would see revival, right? We would see revival just as how they did in the, in, in, in the church in Acts. And don't you want to see that? Don't you want to see that? in your lifetime? 
Don't you want to see revival? And yet I know, I, I know that humanly speaking, right, the mission of Acts 1.8, you know, to be His witnesses to the ends of the earth, it's, it's, it's actually it's a massive task, right? It's, it's almost an impossible task. I mean, I find it hard just to be a witness like to, to my brothers-in-law, right, my sister-in-law. But you know, I think the book of Acts doesn't just challenge us, it also encourages us, right? Because Acts comes right after the four Gospels. And we see that Jesus, He chose a rather powerless group of people, you know, they're quite noobs, right? To carry out this great important mission of world evangelization. He chose, you know, a group of people who were, who were not very powerful socially. None of them were like, you know, in, in high positions or whatever in terms of their status, right? Educationally, they, they weren't like, like super smart people, you know, they, they, were, they were unschooled, ordinary, idiotai, right? And even, even spiritually, they weren't particularly powerful people, right? If, if you read the four Gospels, they always seem a bit clueless, right? They demonstrated weak faith. And Jesus was always kind of having to say, you know, oh, you of little faith, right? Their track record of obedience and commitment was nothing to shout about. You know, they, they fell asleep at Jesus' lowest point, right? When Jesus needed them most, when he was arrested, they ran away. And yet this group was chosen to fulfill the great mission of spreading the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. You see, for these men, these powerless men, to change the course of human history, and that's what they did. They needed something supernatural and extraordinary to happen to them. They needed a special power. They needed this power from on high. You know, if you remember what Pastor Min Chung shared when he was here, he said that God didn't give the disciples a specific plan or strategy to be His witnesses to reach the world. No, He gave them a person. The person of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. And the question I want to ask you today is, do you want this power? Because there is no other way you can be His witness. And how do we get to His power? It's very simple. We just ask God for it. It's His promise that He attached to His mission. And so we just ask Him, God, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Immerse me, plunge me in the Holy Spirit. If that's what you want in a moment, I can pray for you as well. But the last thing I want to point out is that in between the promise of Acts 1.8 and the fulfillment of the promise in Acts chapter 2, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, in between this, this time, right, from the rest of Acts chapter 1, you know, do you know what the disciples were doing? They were waiting. Okay, they were waiting as Jesus instructed, right? Verse 4 says, wait for the gift my Father promised. And that's what they did. They waited. But you know, in that period of waiting, it wasn't like they just sat around, just chill, lay back, you know, do nothing. When the Bible says wait upon the Lord, it's always about, it's, there's always a sense of seeking, you know, waiting in hope, waiting in expectation earnestly. And what the 120 believers did while they were waiting, Acts chapter 1, 14, it says they all joined together constantly in prayer. They went to church constantly. They were praising and worshipping God all the time. 
And so as we pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit, sometimes, you know, sometimes some dramatic things happen. Like sometimes people break out into tongues or they fall in the power of the Holy Spirit or whatever, start to shake or whatever. And, and in Acts, very often something visible happens, right? Because, you know, we, we read that people around them can physically see that the person is filled with the Holy Spirit. But sometimes, sometimes nothing visible or dramatic happens. And that's fine. Keep waiting for the Lord. Keep waiting on the Lord. Keep joining together constantly with fellow believers in prayer. Come for prayer meeting. Join us as we fast and pray for camp. And keep asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, if we constantly be praying individually as well, with others, as, well as with other believers, if we continue to worship Him, praise Him, wait upon the Lord. And if we believe, then God will fill us with the Holy Spirit and He will give us the power to be His witnesses. There is no other way we can fulfill the Great Commission. Let's stand up. Now, as we close the service today, um, we're just going to spend some time worshipping. But I also want to give an opportunity if there's any of you that says, yes, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to come upon me in power so that I can be His witness. Because in your heart, there is a cry that says, God, there must be more than this. There must be more. And if you come up to the front, I'll just pray for you. It's not, it's not some magical thing, you know, it's not some like strange, weird thing that's going to happen. We're just asking God to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that we have, we, we have the power and empowering to be His witnesses. So I'm going to leave the front open. If anyone wants to be prayed for, come up. In the meantime, let's worship Him.
so that really by all means um, some will be saved and, and that really our desire is to see those around us our families, our friends um, get saved that, that they too will, will know the, the Jesus that we have in our lives
Come, let's pray. God, we thank you that you do not give us a mission without the power to accomplish it. So God, I, I pray for everyone in this room who feels that, that, that it is hard to be your witness, that it is, it is almost an impossible task to, to spread the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. God, would you give us the power of your Holy Spirit? Empower us, God, to be your witness empower us to live our lives for you and empower us to walk as ambassadors of Jesus Christ we thank you Jesus that you have you have paid the price we thank you for the finished work on the cross and we cling to that we cling to the power of the Holy Spirit and we give you thanks we give you glory we praise you. So Father, we want to we want to commit ourselves to you and ask that really you will help us to live as your witnesses. Wherever we are, God, in, in our in our homes, especially in our families, in, in our schools, our army camps, wherever you've placed us. And God, it's it's hard on our own. We have we have no strength to do so. There's no way we can be witnesses on, on our own. God, would you empower us? And would you equip us? So we thank you. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we ask all these things in your name. Amen. We're going to just um, leave the area here open if anyone wants to pray. The musicians can stay on stage for a little while.